0: Welcome back to the show. I'm sure someone's said this to you before in your career where they're trying to give you some constructive feedback and all of a sudden it doesn't feel so good and they try to bring you back by saying, hey man, it's not personal, it's just business, right? As if that's an excuse for shitty feedback. I mean, I'm even one to blame because during my career, someone told me that uh, the best way to give constructive feedback was by you know using the shit sandwich recipe. Start with some positive and you slide the crap in there, and then you put another slice of cheese with some sweet on it, and you smash the bread, and there you go. It's supposed to go down real easy, but as you and I know, it never does. And if business is only ever business, then business has to be about relationships. And in a very real sense, your success over the course of your career is going to be directly related to how well you can create trusting relationships, and communicate effectively within those relationships, which is all fine and good. But there were times in my career where I was a superstar at work and a complete zero at home because I wasn't being equally present in both situations. And there's only so many times they can use the excuse of like, gee, honey, really busy at work, gotta stay focused on that. And expecting to have some safe space at home to relax and not have any responsibilities like, hello, how was your day, dear? And that just feels so fucking shitty. So if you struggle with creating and maintaining healthy boundaries, either at work or at home, if you struggle with making sure that people understand what your needs are at work or at home, and if you've ever found yourself in a toxic or emotionally abusive relationship, this is going to be the show for you. Because I invited relationship expert, Kimmy Avery, onto the show to demystify communication within relationship. She's a highly regarded and highly sought after relationship expert. And I should know because when things were going kind of south between myself and Jennifer, she suggested that uh, we give Kimmy a call. And after working with her, the relationship really blossomed um, because I had a deeper understanding and appreciation and Jennifer did as well. And so that's why I invited her back on the show because I realized that most of us are having difficulties either at work or at home or sometimes both with how to manage relationships and how to actually master communication within relationships. And while we hired her specifically for our personal relationships, I was able to take all that stuff that I was learning about my personal relationship and pivot it away and use it in my professional relationships. Because again, business is business, but all business is about relationship. And if you can master your relationship, you're almost always guaranteed to have success in your career. So I want you to stick around because very soon you're going to find out the different ways that men and women are motivated, how they actually process and communicate information and the importance of communication in a relationship and ways to be a master at it. And we'll also talk about the challenges faced by women in male dominated industries, how they can use these tips and tricks to flip the script. And if you manage women, You'll find out ways in which you can actually come across in a more supportive, empowering, and equitable way. I also want to hit you to the fact that, you know, as usual, we'll take all the really juicy parts of the episode and we put it together in an on-the-dock special. Now, that on the dock special is exclusive bonus content. Check the show notes for the link to get yours, because this is gonna be stuff you're gonna wanna hear. Stay tuned. Got all this and more right after the break. Hey. This is Chef Life Radio, and I'm your host, Chef Adam Lamb. I'm a culinary career coach dedicated to assisting hospitality professionals just like you to enjoy their careers without having to sacrifice their lives. Be sure and grab this episode's exclusive bonus content at chefliferadio.com forward slash EP214 bonus. The link is in the show notes. Now let's get to the good stuff. We'd like to welcome a relationship expert, Kimmy Avery, to the show. Hi, Kimmy.
1: Hi, Adam. It's great to be with you.
0: It's been so long since we've spoken, and I have to own that and say I'm sorry because you are not only an amazing trusted advisor to Jennifer and me, but you're also a heck of a great friend.
1: I'd say that's probably one of the challenges of my coaching practices. My coaching clients become my dearest friends, <laughs> and I love that. It's amazing. I want to help people have great lives, and it's fun to do that. And when their lives are better, we like to stay connected.
0: Do you ever find that it can sometimes be a challenge keeping the proper boundaries set in regards to your coaching clients? Now, I know that from our experience that what you did with us was you would talk to each of us individually during the course of the week, and then we would have a collective call, the three of us together, which was always I found fascinating because you're actually getting such a wide view of what's happening, speaking to us individually. And sometimes I know from my own experience, there might be stuff that I bring up to you in an individual call that would sometimes be very difficult to do in a group call. So how do you help maintain the boundaries?
1: When I meet with each person individually, the goal is for me to understand things that they cannot share for whatever reason in front of their partner and then my job is to be stealthy to help drop subjects and topics into the joint session so that each person feels oh yeah so we're addressing something important I didn't have to be the asshole to bring it up or talking about it and you know it wow, it amazingly works when we do that. And then you get the skills of having had the facilitator guide that conversation, either it's with forgiveness or understanding the different perspective. My job is a translator to help each person navigate their relationship experience.
0: And uh, I know that you, I think you and I share the same perspective in that, it doesn't matter what business you're in, it's all about relationship, right? Relationship with your salespeople or their customers or your purveyors or whatever. It's all relationships. So once you can master relationship building and maintenance, then your life is pretty amazing. And I also know that only speaking for myself, one of the biggest lies I ever told myself going into work is I leave it all at the door. And that's <laughs> just, that's not, It's not real because...
1: (laughs) But it's not true.
0: No matter where I go, there I am. And I'm carrying the fact that maybe Jennifer and I had a beef in the morning and I'm carrying that energy back in with me to work and people don't necessarily know that. And if I'm not completely transparent and I'm not talking about dumping all over everybody, but just prefacing that so that they know that I'm in the process of working through that and not want to impact them. And I also know that in professional life, it's not necessarily... Very PC to talk about how the masculine and feminine are different, right? Everybody's expected to have the similar opportunities, which I completely concur with, but the fact of the matter is, again, just based on my experience, is that the masculine and feminine hear differently, they process differently, they go about their tasks differently, and you and I were working at one point about actually bringing your work to the organization that I was in, and I was really sad to see that didn't happen, but I have a sneaking suspicion that you and I will continue to work for an opportunity like this because I think it's so powerful to to bring to an organization that realizes that only until they build true community within their organization can folks feel like they're a part of it. Speak a little bit about the differences between the masculine and the feminine. See if our listeners can get hit in the chest a little bit.
1: So the masculine is this provider, protector, producer energy. It is single focused and driven, committed to an outcome once they don't commit until they're sure they can do it. And once they're committed, it's only that my husband just remodeled our kitchen. It was only that for months. OK, only that. And the feminine is the supporter, adapter, enhancer energy. And that means we go into many directions. We change our commitments based on circumstances. So the context affects how we're going to do. So let's say we have an upset child at home and we're committed to something at work. We're probably going to take care of our child because the commitment will shift in that context. We all have masculine and feminine within us. You could call it the individualist and the relational. That Some corporations prefer that, but we all have that within us. And if you think of it like a yin-yang symbol, then they complement each other. The supporters love to have somebody to support, and it feels sad when you don't. The provider's protector energy loves to have somebody to provide and protect, or an organization, or my father had a travel agency years ago. And he considered his employees his family. And he kept this thing going for years because, even though it wasn't making money, because they were in his commitment circle. He was committed to taking care of them. And so that dynamic will impact how we work, how we get things done. So, somebody who's really single focused at work, for instance, on getting an event done. I'm thinking it's coming to mind something that had happened at your past work. I can't remember all the details, but you're really single focused. That energy to a woman can feel like a bull in a china shop. And we are like, whoa, calm down. And we react because you're so intense. And then on the other hand, you're single focused and you're like, get with the program, do your job. And we're like, We are. There are so many things in the background that we're doing that you have no idea about. So that if we can step back and go, oh, that's the landscape. That's what's happening here. Now we can talk. Now I can understand that when my husband's single-focused, we have to plan time to have connection time. Because for four months, nothing. Because all he could think about was that kitchen. And it de- he's not trying to be a jerk. On my side, it feels like that. But I know that our kitchen was done and it's done beautifully because he was single focused and in a timely manner because he was single focused. Same thing happens at work, right? And if we don't know how to navigate this stuff, Then we get ourselves into big trouble. We spend a lot of time upset and we end up either quitting or battling with the people we work with. And that doesn't feel very good. You spend a lot of time at work.
0: Yeah. Nothing sucks more than to resent your boss or the guests or your kitchen staff. Uh, There was a time in my life where I just fucked everybody. Fuck them. Fuck this. Fuck that. This job would be so great if it wasn't for the people.
1: Right. Cause then right. it would just be
0: detail, but, uh, another one of my teachers, uh, Satya and Raja, I heard him in a, in kind of a high level presentation, talk about the masculine and the feminine as not a polarity, but along a spectrum of masculine and feminine, and that somewhere along that spectrum you fall and it could be, I consider myself, you know, 60%, 55% masculine and 45% feminine. So I share a few of these attributes, but he brought it down as to if you really wanted to motivate a crew, what you would need to do is you'd need to look at each person individually and figure out where on the spectrum they most likely fall. And that if you wanted to motivate somebody for the masculine, it would be loving challenge. And for the feminine, it would be loving praise, but the operative word being loving. So can you speak a couple minutes on this idea of us having both? aspects of masculinity and femininity. And now that we are becoming much more inclusive, uh, especially with LBGTQ folks, how do you, I'm not trying to pigeonhole somebody, but I really want to be able to communicate them with them effectively and provide them the guidance, love assistance that they're looking for as a boss and a mentor and a coach so that they can produce the best results for for their lives.
1: Sure. So everybody has masculine and feminine within them. Okay. The masculine, the person in a male body, typically knows exactly what their percentage is. And it doesn't adapt the way it does with women and people in a woman's body. Like my stepson, when he first learned this, he came up to me and he said, Kimmy, I am 40% feminine. I went, okay. Like he knew that's his sense of himself. And just like you described, that's your sense of yourself. Feminine is focused on adapting. That's literally if you imagine a gatherer going out in the meadow.
0: Oh, thank you, you thank know, you for this. I was, if you didn't bring this up, I was going to ask <laughs> this because this really helped me out with Jennifer. This yeah. whole idea as the feminine, as the gatherer versus the masculine, the hunter. So please go
1: yeah. ahead. So, so th- she goes out in the meadow with typically a group of gatherers because you want to, and you chit chat along the way. Because you need to scare the critters and you're building connection. It's all about relationship. Because if you don't fit in, if you get expelled from the tribe, what? You're tiger food. It's like it's dangerous. So we're all connecting, we're all visiting that way. And then we're, if we were single focused on finding only one thing and that thing wasn't there, then we'd come home with an empty basket. So I happen to be an avid chanterelle mushroom gatherer. I know exactly where they grow. I go out and do that. And if there are no chanterelles, I might look for bay leaves because they grow near the bay trees or bay laurel trees. I think that's what they're called. Or maybe we look for berries or we look for things that are beautiful or usable. We're constantly adapting based on the context. Okay, And and here's the deal men and women across the spectrum sachan is absolutely right there's a spectrum and each person is going to have different ways that they need to be motivated and so it's loving challenge or loving a well pre- those are great and Typically, like I worked with a woman or had a friend of mine who she was trying to lose weight and I was trying to quit smoking. And her motivation strategy was to rip me to shreds. Oh, you stink. You got to quit smoking. It's all that. Which caused me to want to sit in the corner and smoke. It was not my motivation strategy. Yeah. So hers was or I was all loving and kind. Oh, I'm so proud of you. You can do this. And she just wanted to sit in the corner and eat chocolate eclairs. So one day we said we had the epiphany. This is through my NLP training. We had this epiphany: I need to motivate her and her style, and she needs to motivate me and mine. So she started saying, "Cubie, I'm so proud of you. You're doing such a great job," which is totally foreign to her to do. And I had to say, "Allison, you're a fat pig. You better walk the fattest dog because you're so fat." And that that got her walking, right? And it was, the, di- the point is that the different motivation strategies are, are unique across, across every person, and everybody is their own unique culture. I happen to focus more on the masculine and feminine because with my master's in counseling psychology, my bachelor's in family studies and human development, my, I'm an NLP, that's Neuro Linguistic Programming Master Practitioner and Trainer, All those skills were really great, but it still didn't help me have a great relationship. And then I started 15 years ago studying about men from a masculine perspective, and it literally changed everything. So all I could see were these patterns of how these elements relate to each other. And that doesn't mean I don't rely heavily on the other skills I have, but this is often the first place we look because... so. In, here's an example. Women are notoriously bad about expressing what we need until we're upset without it. We just don't know. I was talking to a friend this weekend and I said, you've got to tell Greg what you need. And she said, but I don't know what I need. I said, that's the first step. You have to tune in. If I, What do I need so that I'm not upset about this? And so we say, I want This would be nice. And most men go, it's like it it just flies over their head. They don't get it. So we think we've been telling you sometimes for years what we need. And then when you don't do that thing we need that we're unclear about, then we think you don't love us, care us, care about us, or respect us. So then we're hurt and angry. So you try to do something nice, and we're snippy or worse, and you're like wondering what the hell happened? Like, why are you so mean to me? And we're thinking, you never do the things I need, and so you don't care about me. And then she seems bipolar because she's insane, because she's so hurt. I don't necessarily think That's true. I think if she understood, and this has been my experience, by understanding this dynamic, all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's been single-focused. I need to learn how to tell him what I need in a way that works. He gets to win. He gets to be my hero. I'm happy because he's providing the thing I need, and it's a win-win. Everybody's happier. All the, there's a lot of mental health diagnoses that I think are relationship-based because of our misunderstandings.
0: Yeah, I think that is true. My personality is made more complex because i spent a lifetime in the service industry. So I've spent most of my life, my waking moments, in service to someone else because it felt good to me to be in service, like whether it's a guest or whatever. And I just want to round back to this idea of hard women, not powerful women. But one of my first formative culinary experiences was with a female chef in suburban Chicago at a country club. And she, I wish I could remember her name, but she made it a point to visit upon me all the kind of ills and slights that had been thrust upon her as she was coming up her career ladder. So I spent a year pretty humble in front of her because she was going to take me down anytime I thought I was doing a good That's not germane to the question, but I learned early on the power of having the feminine balanced in a culinary environment. My very first executive chef job, I had a sous chef, feminine sous chef, Lori Walker. And so I've had a deep appreciation for what the feminine brings to an organization, especially a culinary team and balancing out the energy. But my experience has been almost universally that the women in the culinary industry are fucking way harder than any man because they can't, they can't take a day off. They can't complain about their period because they're going to get joked out of the kitchen. They're afforded no quarter to actually be that soft-sided feminine. And so when you've got somebody who really is a girly girl, but she's chosen to be in this industry, she toughens the fuck up really quickly. And then for most of it, they're not seeking any contribution, but they're looking for a level playing field and opportunity that's the same as anybody else. But I'm thinking about two people in particular where underneath it all, there's still a woman and they're still primarily feminine. And not knowing the whole basket idea, I spent a lot of my time in conversation with people in the kitchen in small groups and one-on-ones because now I realize the power of these small conversations about, I got 10 minutes I want to know what's going on. Empty your basket because this is our opportunity to clean some stuff up. And that's proven to be very powerful. And I just want to make a general comment, which the work that we're doing here on the show, you coming on and other industry leaders and thought experts and practitioners in the field, not just people who are thinking, but people who are actually changing lives. I hope that very soon these women who have fought very hard to be regarded as coveted professionals don't have to be more masculine than their masculine counterparts because I do know that there have been studies that biologically over time their body will start upregulating and downregulating genes based on proteins that their brains are producing so that they become more masculine. Not growing a set of cast iron ovaries, but, you know that they're at some point during the day they have it has to balance out. Someone has to be able to allow them to be girly so that they can re enter their body in a uh, In a real way. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. So there are a couple things come to mind. One is that we have more estrogen than testosterone throughout our lives, especially in our younger years as women. And what else, what comes or where we get our energy from and our single focus from is that little bit of testosterone and our adrenal glands. A lot of women will experience chronic fatigue syndrome and adrenal burnout because they're single focused for long periods of time. I can't have a fully leaded cup of coffee now because I was so single focused for a long time and now that I've been through menopause I do I have a testosterone and estrogen that I take and progesterone and that kind of thing in a balance so that it keeps me from having brain fog but what often happens is as a woman goes through menopause, her estrogen levels drop so that means the testosterone appears higher, just in the ratio that she normally had. And the corpus callosum, that's the center of your brain, literally narrows so you're able to single focus more than when you were younger. And for men, typically that widens and he's able to multitask a little bit more. One of my trainers described the first time she'd left something at the bottom of the stairs and She always would do that to bring things up and down. And her husband literally picked it up and took it upstairs. And she was like, it's happening because he's able to multitask more. And so there's that aspect. But I wanted to get back to something that you said about women. And I have a program that I did at Shell Oil years ago with the men and women engineers there. So the program was called Beyond the Glass Ceiling. And when a woman asks a male counterpart for help about something, that feels good to a man because typically he'll want to help her. And then she gets the help she needs to be able to do whatever project she's doing. My belief is that there's no glass ceiling if we allow the men in our lives to contribute to us. Men typically want us to succeed. They in, in Shell's case, they spent a ton of money recruiting, hiring, and training women only to lose them after about four years, which is why I was brought into this program. And they lose them because women don't often know how to interact with men. They're not getting the mentoring from the men. They're not getting the support. And it's not because men wouldn't do it, but we also have this weird climate of Potential sexual harassment. And so, to a man and a woman going out to lunch together to talk about business can look suspicious depending on where, what the context is. So, allowing, I keep saying that word, allowing yourself to receive support from your male counterparts allows you to be in more feminine mode, which is, can be great, and also allows you to be more of the queen of the realm, who is the leader, the guide on where you want to go, and you've got people who want to support you in that agenda. So that's where the glass ceiling disappears, because you, are, you become a pleasure to work with, because you're giving clear information to the people around you. They know what to do. They're able to win with you. You're able to be happy. You're able to be the visionary leader. And I'm speaking specifically to women in this context. Because if you're thinking that you have to do it all yourself, you're doing this lone wolf syndrome where I'm in charge of everything. I have to do everything. You're exhausted, overwhelmed, overworked, and you're not nurturing your body and you will collapse. You will. And I. you haven't brought this up, but I know that in the culinary industry, drugs and speed and cocaine and stuff is a big deal.
0: Yeah, I don't know anything about
1: you. Do you like yes, you? absolutely.
0: You're always looking for the edge. And it, it's yeah. not like, speaking of my own experience, I started with my very first chef job, I started using and abusing cocaine primarily because... Not as a party drug where you take it out after work and then stay up all night. It was an eight ball split up amongst three people so they could get through the weekend on point. So it was more performance enhancement than it was partying. And I collapsed that pretty significantly for most of my career. I'd say for the first 10 years, it was ever present. And you're talking back in the 80s and 90s when it was all over everywhere and nobody really was calling out the, the deleterious effects, especially after long-term use. And for me, what it ended up happening is I gained weight and suffered for sleep apnea undiagnosed for about 10, 15 years. So here I'm burning the candle at both ends. I'm not getting any sleep. No restorative processes are happening in my body. Consequently, two back surgeries later, it's an excellent prescription for how to screw yourself over. When in fact, back then it was all about performing better than anyone else as opposed to, because at that time, I liken it to being a chef as the apex predator in the kitchen and you were expected to know everything. And if you didn't, that was a problem because now you've promoted yourself beyond your skill set, and we need to bring in somebody who actually knows that kind of stuff. So it provided an atmosphere by which you would never ask for help. You would never admit any type of shortcomings and you would do almost anything to stay on top of the game. I worked at a small hotel, Sheridan Hotel, next to the airport in Fort Lauderdale that was owned by a small management company that was taken over by Starwood back when Starwood had 65 hotels. They'd just gotten into the real estate investment trust business, and this was like their 65th purchase. And in 12 months, they would grow to over 6,000 hotels and buy the Sheridan brand outright. But the very first transitional food and beverage manager and general manager that came in, this food and beverage director says to me, okay, so I'm going to need all this data in an Excel spreadsheet. I'm going to need it Monday morning. And I said, I, I don't know Excel. He said, we better learn. So I spent 72 straight hours in my office teaching myself the rudimentary basics of Excel so that I could produce this report because I knew that if I showed up without having accomplished that, that probably meant my job. I love the fact that the culture has evolved such that as the chef, it's not important for me to know everything, but it is important for me to feel a team that can accomplish everything and to maximize their experience as well as mine and give and take between one another the things that would most benefit one another.
1: Let me say something. I, I That pressure to burn the candle at both ends, my hope is that some of this culture is going to shift, especially after COVID, people are realizing that we don't have to be just workaholics. And because because what you mentioned earlier was that there are chef suicides, like a heartbreaking thing. These people have put their hearts and souls into something. Of course, the most famous is Anthony Bourdain. So what the hell? And getting support in how to navigate and work with people So that you are getting support because you need that. If you're going to be this pillar of strength, you need that as a coach or as a a chef. Everybody needs support. My husband and I have a relationship coach. It's like we need support to be able to do our jobs better.
0: Yeah. There's some memes I've seen on Facebook around chefs who have transitioned to, say, being performance coaches, specifically around health and wellness, physical training. And they are trying to give back to the the industry that they love so much. And there are chefs who are like pissing all over that saying, he's not a chef anymore. What the hell does he know? And I shit on all that because for the longest time, we as a culture have been behind the times. There are industries that have been using webinars for 15 years. To increase sets. And yet for the longest time, you really didn't take any courses or sit in a classroom style setting unless you went to a national conference, which, you know, might be three times a year, which I find to be wholly unacceptable. And because everything's moving so fast that again, it's for our health and benefit to co-create a culture that's worth staying into. But more importantly, to be able to communicate that in any way which this is a way to do that so that others get the idea that it's not a scary place to come back to work to. Like I get it fucking sucked for many years. And that's why during COVID when people are basically getting paid to stay home and they were with their families for six and eight months at a time. Like I, I get for some it might drift of crazy because they, they had nowhere to run to. And that's what I knew COVID was going to do. COVID was going to slow the whole world down so nobody would be able to run away from their shit. And they'd have to stare at it. Since that's why Jennifer, who's transformational coach and like you, probably had the best years ever, right?
1: It's been good. Yes. Yeah. And, and people are desperate for support. And they're willing to reach out of their comfort zone to get it, which is really important. And I've had to make a sliding scale because people. there are some people who just really are having a hard time financially. And yet getting out there and getting support now. I have business coaches and relationship coach. Like To be your best and optimal self, it's really important to get that support.
0: Sure, I, I completely get that. I completely get that. Actually, I have two other questions. Number one, now that more and more people are self-identifying as non-binary or gender fluid, I have a particular opinion about that but is does it change relationship building at all given that there's the desire to identify as they or them yet biologically there's another thing happening
1: One of the things that makes me unique as an NLP practitioner and this is pretty much across the board with NLP people is that I want to understand you I want to understand how your brain works so It's not a cookie cutter saying, "Oh, you're in a masculine body, so you must be this way or feminine," or and somebody who's non-binary, they're going to find their spectrum. I'm going to I'm going to navigate that with them and help them understand. In this context, maybe you're more feminine. In this context, maybe you're more masculine. Masculine and feminine does not have to do with your gonads. It has to do. It's just framework that we can build upon. And I always ask my clients, I'm going to describe something and let's see where you fit in this picture. Because I don't know where I can make an assumption, which they say don't make assumptions because it makes an ass out of you and me. If you have to make one assumption, that's that you have no idea what anybody else is thinking. It's that assumption. Be curious instead of furious. So with the non-binary people or... I'm still trying to get my head around pronouns and all that stuff. I just like names. I want to use whatever pronouns or names that somebody named, that somebody prefers. I think that's respectful. I've got a friend in Bahrain, and he, the Arabic translation, his name comes out Tafiq. It's spelled about a dozen different ways every time it comes through. And I said, well, what's your preference? And how do you say it? Because, you know, that is important. I want to know his name, not how I would say it. That's my own assumption. It's not, it's, not, it's not respectful.
0: No, I get it. And just reflecting on if there's one attribute that you're advocating would best serve us, it would be this idea of being endlessly curious about other people to the point of, actually stepping outside of our comfort zone and asking vulnerable questions like, hey, w- what motivates you? And what best serves you? And how do you want to be treated? And what pronoun would you like to use?" Because I get that some folks may not necessarily be comfortable with that, but tough shit. We want to be able to provide, or at least the hope, the desire should be to provide a an environment by which they can grow richer and we as an organization could become richer by their participation. So, yeah, we're just going to have to get out of our own way.
1: Absolutely. Asking permission or setting up a time, sometimes somebody might want to do that conversation in private and not no, in no, front of other that. people. <laughs> That's a kind of a given, but I wanted to make sure that, that was clear. And the other piece is that I would I really need to get to know you so I can better serve you as your manager. And I'd love to ask you some questions to help understand your style of working and how you operate and what motivates you and what inspires you to take more action. Whatever those questions are, I want to understand you because hopefully we'll have a long, fruitful time working together because that's important to me. I didn't hire you because I thought you were a dope. I hired you because I thought you were amazing or I could see potential in you.
0: Can't tell you how much i so appreciate your vulnerability and partnership in the show and offering your wonderful pieces of wisdom that i'm certain a lot of people are gonna at least take a look at themselves and how they can actually communicate better if not in professionally certainly personally because i don't know anybody that doesn't want a more harmonious life and i'm curious to know if you would be willing to do this again but do it in a live stream between you and me on the facebook channel, because. I'm just really feeling how important it is to do this again. So I'm just curious whenever you can fit it in your schedule.
1: I would love to do this again. I, I adore you and I love talking about this stuff. And I love your heart and how much you want to help people. Every time we're talking, I'm thinking about my stepson who it just finished his internship in South Carolina as a chef. And I just, I want, what a great community thing. Well, Support and navigating work and love. Really powerful.
0: That's it for this episode of Chef Life Radio. If you enjoyed the episode and you want to hear more, then you want to grab the link to the exclusive bonus content we recorded at chefliferadio.com forward slash EP214 bonus. And the link is in the show notes. Here at Chef Life Radio, we believe that working in a kitchen should be demanding, it just shouldn't have to be demeaning. It should be hard, just doesn't have to be harsh. We believe that it's possible to have more solidarity and less suck it up sunshine, more compassion, less cutthroat island. We believe in more partnership and less put up or shut up, more family and less fuck you. Stand tall and frosty brothers and sisters, but consider for a moment For all the blood sweat and effort you put into what you do at the end of the day it's just some stuff on a plate none of it really matters it doesn't define you as a person or make you any more special or less than anyone else it's just a dance that we're engaged in so we might as well laugh and enjoy every bit of it or didn't you know that the purpose of your life should be to enjoy it like it happy i love it i am humble Goddamn damn glory I don't live on now (laughs) reach out to the show at facebook.com forward slash chef life radio, Twitter at chef life radio, Instagram at chef life radio, visit the website at chef life Subscribe to the podcast at any of the major podcasts directories. Please take a moment and give us a thumbs up and write a review. It really does help spread the news. Thanks for listening until the next episode. Be well and do good. This episode was produced by me, Adam Lamb. It was recorded in a basement bunker studio in Bardo, North Carolina, co-produced by Thomas Stephenson of podlike.com. Chef Life Radio is a production of Realignment Media.